verses 3 through 6 is our text for this morning. This is God's Word. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the Gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated. This is a powerful passage, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3-6. through six. I've titled this message, An Attitude of Gratitude. An Attitude of Gratitude. Last week, as you know, we began embarking on this fall and spring study through the book of Philippians. Uh, we're going to be finishing this up next May with some breaks here and there and some exceptions, some off sermons during the holidays especially. But we're going to be here through next May and then do a summer series, summer of 2024, uh, to be announced later on. But last Sunday, if you remember, we looked at the intro of verses 1 through 2, and I trust that that whets your appetite to the, just the beauties of this wonderful book here. But now we get an opportunity to get into the body of the letter, chapter 1, verses 3 and following. And I definitely want to encourage you, especially as we get into the bulk of the letter here, to be reading through the uh, book of Philippians. That's in addition, obviously, to, uh, to your daily Bible reading, which every single one of us ought to be reading through the Bible every year, even if you're doing some other more intense studies. Make sure that you're reading through the Word of God. But in addition to that, I would encourage you to be reading through Philippians at least once a week. That would be really helpful, right? Uh, it's four chapters, so if you read one chapter a day, even on the days when you miss a chapter, you can go back and you have three other days where you can read and make up that chapter, okay? Make sure that you're working through that, and that's going to be really helpful as we work uh, exegetically and expositionally through the book of Philippians. Well, some of you are familiar with George Mueller. Uh, much has been written about George Mueller. He was a Christian pastor, an evangelist, and uh, just a faithful man of God, a Christian man living in 19th century England. He was a very merciful and compassionate man, George Mueller. A wonderful missionary heart for people. It's estimated that he cared for literally thousands of orphans. He had a particular heart for orphan care. Some estimate that he cared for some 10,000 plus orphans to some extent or another during his ministry, obviously as others served alongside of him. Uh, George Mueller was a wonderful, compassionate man, and he was a man of faith, great man of faith. He, wouldn't, he didn't make it a habit to solicit help from human beings, other people who might uh, give offerings or whatever when there was, whenever there was a need for anyone in his church and especially for the orphans that he cared for. This man, simply being a man of faith, took it to the Lord in prayer. He took those needs to the Lord in prayer, and God would again and again and again miraculously answer his prayers without anyone, uh, any other human actually contributing to those particular needs. But George Mueller, brethren, was also a man filled with a deep sense of gratitude. He was a thankful man. The story is told of one instance when he was at one of his many orphanages, and there were a few hundred children present, and there was no food or drink for these kids. They didn't know what they were going to be doing. But instead of fretting and becoming anxious or worrying about uh, where the food was going to come from, Mueller gathered everyone together in the dining room area, and he gave thanks for God's provision of food, even with no food present in the moment. 
Well, within minutes, there was a knock on the door, and somebody was there. It was the local baker. And that local baker said that the night before, God had impressed upon his heart to, to bake bread and donate it to the kids for, of the orphanage. And so God had provided food for them. Then, shortly thereafter, the milkman shows up and said that his milk truck had broken down. Who do you think did that, right? His uh, milk truck had broken down and he wished to donate that milk to the orphans so that they would be fed as well. Remarkable. And there are, there's story after story. If you've never read a, a book talking about the life of George Mueller, you ought to do it. It's a wonderful, wonderful way to be reminded of the greatness of God and God's provision. Remarkable ways that God would provide for this man and for those under his ministry. He was a great man of faith and a great man of prayer. But what I want us to think about as well, even this morning, is that hand in hand with those virtues of faith and prayer, we ought to be people who are filled with a sense of gratitude. And Mueller was a man who not only was a man of faith and prayer, but he was also filled with a great heart of thankfulness. Thankfulness. You know why he was filled with a great heart of gratitude? Because he was a heavenly-minded man. Brethren, mark it. People who are heavenly-minded, people who are gospel-motivated and are concerned about investing themselves for the progress of the gospel, are people who exude an attitude of gratitude. They are thankful people. The reason why a Christian like George Mueller could have such a heart of gratitude is because his mindset was set on gospel realities. He was a heavenly-minded man. He once said, quote, laying up treasures in heaven will draw the heart heavenward, end quote. I love that. And so he was invested and consumed with gospel realities and focused on gospel investment on earth. And this is what we see here beginning with our opening section in chapter 1, verses 3 and following. Verses 3 through 11 really is one unit of thought, and we're going to take it that way. We want to contemplate gospel-fueled practices in the life of the Christian and in the life of the church. These are practices that should be evident in our lives personally as well as collectively if we are being fueled by the gospel and motivated by the gospel. And today, the first gospel-fueled practice that we want to look at and focus upon is this attitude of gratitude in verses 3-6. through six. An attitude of gratitude. It should go without saying that cultivating and fostering a thankful spirit and disposition internally and one that is expressed, it should, be, should go without saying that that's super important in the Christian life for us. Jerry Bridges once wrote this, quote, Gratitude is a handmaiden of contentment. An ever-growing attitude of gratitude will certainly make us more content since we will be focusing more on what we do have, both spiritually and materially, than on what we do not have. It is focusing on the fact that all we do have, we have by the grace of God. We do not deserve anything we have, materially or spiritually. It is all by His grace." End quote. I love that. You cannot and will not, brother or sister, live happy and content if you do not cultivate an attitude of gratitude before the Lord. If you do not count your blessings and just how good God has been to you. It's so easy in our media-saturated, materialistic society right, to become self-entitled, to become discontent. Our blessings. We are fixated upon those things that we think that we deserve upon those things that we think that we are entitled to. 
on the blessings of God. One of my friends jokingly used to say whenever he was asked how he was doing, how are you doing, bro? Well, I'm much better than I deserve. Hey, at least we're not going to hell, he would say. That's perspective, isn't it? At least we're not going to hell. That's an attitude of gratitude right there. For him, he was genuine, by the way. Yes, it was a joke, but he really meant it and he lived it, which was awesome to see by God's grace. And so as we look at our text, Paul, brethren, was a man full of gratitude, full of thanksgiving because he was a gospel-fueled individual. And as, as he opens the body of this letter, we see that gratitude is really what governs the whole section of verses 3-11. through 11. Paul was a man whose greatest passion was the gospel, and therefore, because his greatest passion was the gospel and his sights were on heavenly realities, he was a grateful, thankful Christian man, saved by grace, flesh and blood, by the way, just like you and I, so it is absolutely possible, given the fact that we too have the Spirit of God living in us as believers, to be thankful people. Amen? Amen. So I want us to consider this key virtue today and answer this question, what does gospel-fueled gratitude and thankfulness look like? And so first and foremost, what we see is that this is a God-directed gratitude. If you're taking notes, this is a God-directed gratitude. He says in verse 3, notice, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Paul says, whenever I think about you, Philippians, right? Whenever I reflect upon the past and our interaction, I am full of thanksgiving. Remember, these Philippians were not perfect people, were they? Last week we saw that there were issues that were beginning to surface. They were sinners saved by grace just like everybody else. They had struggles of their own. They had difficulties. They had things that they were idiosyncrasies in the lives of his fellow brethren, Philippian believers. Even so, Paul says, I'm thankful for you. And by the way, that's a present tense verb there. I thank my God. Meaning that he was continually, habitually filled with gratitude. Paul was in a state a mindset of gratitude toward his, for his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, the Philippians. And note, who does he direct his gratitude toward? He says, my God. I thank my God. Oh, that's very intimate, isn't it? Paul, uh, God was very personal to Paul. To Paul, uh, God was not some distant or an impersonal force. Paul had a personal relationship with God. Paul was intimately acquainted with God, his heavenly Father. And because of God's saving work in Paul's life, he's a man full of God-directed thanksgiving. It's so convicting. If you've read the opening uh, sections of Paul's letters, maybe with the exception of one, the book of Galatians, Paul often opens with thanksgiving directing his, his gratitude toward God for the work that he's doing, not only in the life of Paul, but the work that he's doing in the, life of, the lives of his brethren, fellow local churches. Romans chapter 1 and verse 8 says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Romans, I'm th- Roman believers, I'm so thankful for you. In fact, people are, are speaking about the mighty deeds of God in your lives. How the gospel is transforming your life, and I'm thankful for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 4, Paul writes, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 2, he writes there, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. Paul says, oh, God is doing a mighty work in you guys. 
We're so grateful for you guys. Brothers and sisters, when God, when Paul contemplated the work of God in his own life, his own salvation, and the salvation of his brethren, he couldn't help but to express thanksgiving. He was a man full of gratitude. He was fueled by heavenly gospel realities. You see, God-directed gratitude is one of the marks of a mature believer. Right? We have so many different ways of, of answering that question. What, is, what, what does a, a mature Christian look like? And we can talk about humility. We can talk about their faith. So many virtues. One of the virtues that, is, that are true of a particular mature believer is that they are a person who are, is full of gratitude. You are a thankful person. Colossians 3.15 instructs us, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart to which indeed you were called in one body and ready, and be thankful. Be thankful. We are to be peacekeeping, grateful people. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, ready? Giving thanks through Him to God the Father. So the more that you grow and the more that you mature as a believer in Christ, the more thankful that you should actually be the more grateful you should actually um, be for the way that God has, has preserved you and protected you. Even this week, think about this week. If God doesn't hold you in the palm of His hand, brethren, brother or sister, you wouldn't be here today. He's the one that's keeping you alive every single day. We walk on His earth. We drink His water, right? He's providing all of those wonderful gifts. And yet how little we give Him thanks. How little we express gratitude for the blessings that He has bestowed upon us. I recall one, one good friend early on in my Christian walk having some major trials in his life. He had just become a Christian a couple of years before that. He had married really young, but then he became a believer and in a Job-esque kind of manner. I mean, he underwent all kinds of suffering and trials. I mean, this brother lost his job, lost one of his kids as they went wayward, lost his good health, lost his home at one point. Eventually, his wife left him all because he had become a believer. They had a Roman Catholic background. His wife had as well. And they resented the fact that he had become a Christian. And through all of this, it was astounding to see this man living by grace in God and his faith not diminish one bit. Always thankful. Always grateful, always having something kind to say to others, even in the midst of his own pain and hurt, which he wouldn't really publicize very much. He would say to me, Kempis, I always remember James 1.17 as I'm walking through this trial. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light, speaking of God, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. He would say, God only gives good gifts. He only gives benevolent gifts. We must trust Him. We must give Him thanks. And He was such an example of that as a young believer. What an example of God-directed gratitude. And it wasn't circumstantially driven. Listen, he chose to be grateful despite the circumstances that he was experiencing that were so difficult. And you see, when we choose gratitude, like my friend, we are saying something theological, aren't we? Think about that. When you choose gratitude by the grace of God, you are saying something theological. You are saying something about your view of God. And how high or low it is. 
to not give thanks is for us to withhold from God what He rightly deserves, which is praise and adoration, as we sang earlier. In fact, an attitude of ingratitude is the reason for God's wrath being manifested toward the world in the present, right? Romans chapter 1 speaks of this. The wrath of God is presently being revealed. And then he goes on in chapter 1 of Romans to speak about the fact that they do not give thanks. They do not acknowledge God, their Creator. God is manifesting His wrath in the present and His future wrath He will because people do not give thanks to Him. People do not acknowledge God. Ingratitude to God then is at the core, brethren, of man's rebellion. Listen, Paul chose to be grateful despite his limiting circumstances. Where is he at currently? In jail. Limited from a human perspective. Gratitude was his choice, however. Right? Because by human standards, he doesn't have any reason to give thanks. Right? He's presently in jail, limited from a human perspective. If, in fact, if Paul would have allowed his gratitude, brethren, to be dictated by his circumstances and the difficulties that he's experiencing, even the challenging relationships that we will see in verses 12 and following, people who are opposing him and who are his ministry rivals, if you will, if he is allowing circumstances or those challenging relationships to shape or dictate whether he will be grateful, he will never give thanks. He will never utter blessings to the Lord or praise Him. And yet, this is what we often do in the Christian life, don't we? We allow our gratitude to be shaped or limited, if you will, by our difficult circumstances. Instead of choosing to be thankful and to be grateful, what do we do? We grumble and complain. Earlier this year, I was working through, in my Bible reading through the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament, you're familiar with the Pentateuch. <laughs> Remember the Israelites? Over and over again, no matter how good and kind God was to those Israelites, what did they constantly do? Right? Grumble and complain about everything. Even the gifts that He was given them. He provided for them. He protected them. He was granting them perspective through good teachers like Moses. Even gave, him, gave them uh, His principles to live by. And they were constantly grumbling. No matter what, they were always unhappy. Always complaining. Always discontent. They were like the person who Spurgeon describes, right? No matter... No matter what, they're always going to find that, that, that pile of man manure in, the, in any beautiful green meadow. Right? They're going to find it. It doesn't matter. It's just a matter of time. With that spirit of negativity. Paul knew this. That's why later on in chapter 2 and verse 14, if you notice, in Philippians 2.14, go there. He says, Christians, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Grumbling is that idea of, of behind-the-scenes whispering or secret talk in the recesses of your heart. Always complaining in your heart. Always grumbling, right? And then that finds expression in, in disputing. It's, that's the public expression of the, of the grumbling, right? Disputing arguments. Disputing. Combating other people left and right. It says, do all things without that, brethren. Instead, be thankful. Well, that's the command. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. What's the hard attitude uh, which moves us to be thankful people? Well, he's going to talk about it throughout the whole book of Philippians. It's the virtue of humility. 
of lowliness of mind in the light of the greatness of who God is. Of viewing ourselves rightly. That's why we began there. Go back and listen, if you haven't, to one of my opening sermons from the book of Isaiah, right? Where we talked about having a high view of God, right? And in the light of that, as we see God for who He is, we are driven then to have a heart of humility before Him. We see ourselves rightly as we see God for who He is. It's a heart of humility that really fuels and drives a heart of an attitude of gratitude. Humility that says, you know what, in the light of my wretched sin, I deserve nothing but hell and condemnation. But what has God given me? He's given me His magnificent grace, favor, undeserved kindness, and blessing in Christ Jesus. Brethren, we deserve hell were it not for Christ. Amen? That's what we deserve. And God has given us grace in Christ and forgiveness and reconciliation and comfort and encouragement in the Christian life, and even in the midst of our trials and our suffering and our difficulties and this tumultuous world in which we live, He sustains us by His grace, doesn't He? And there's the great promise that one day in the, in the book of Revelation, it says that there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. It will all be done away with because of the risen, exalted, ascended, returning Christ. Think about that. So much to be thankful for. Amen? So much. The 19th century American pastor, Henry Beecher, once wrote this, quote, A proud man or woman is seldom a grateful man, for he never thinks he gets as he deserves, end quote. Whew, it's tough stuff, huh? In other words, one of the ways pride is evident in our lives is when we live perpetually thinking about how much, how we deserve better. We're never content. We live in a perpetual state of discontentment, always pointing our finger at God, actively or passively, in what we don't say and what we don't do toward God. We point our finger at Him and, and essentially say, you have given me the short end of the stick in the midst of my physical frailties, my emotional trials, my difficult circumstances. You've given me the short end of the stick, God. You're not worthy to be, to be thanked. We might not articulate it that way, brethren, but essentially that's how we often live. We don't express gratitude to our Heavenly Father. John Broadus, a preacher in the 19th century, wrote this, quote, An unthankful and complaining spirit is an abiding sin against God and a cause of almost continual unhappiness. And yet how common such a spirit is. How prone we seem to forget how good God has been to us, remembering only the evil, forgetting life's joys, and thinking only of its sorrows, to forget thankfulness, remembering only to complain, he says. Oh, brethren, may that not be us. God deserves our praise and our thanksgiving. Amen? Like we just sung a few minutes ago. That's why I love those songs and the beautiful song we used to sing back in the day when the Lord saved me. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. Remember that song? And now let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich because of what the Lord has done for us. Give thanks. Remember that beautiful song? Oh, brethren, don't forget about how sweet that was even early on in your Christian journey. Sometimes the longer that we walk with God, we don't mean this. Most of it is not ill-intentioned, not Ill right? It's slow and imperceptible. 
but we become less and less grateful for our salvation, less and less grateful for the evidences of God's grace in our lives and in those around us. Let us not be people who are grumblers and complainers. And so our gratitude is the right response to the goodness of God in our lives. Gospel-fueled gratitude is, first of all, God-directed gratitude. Right? Secondly, secondly, write this down. Gospel-fueled gratitude is prayer-saturated gratitude. Prayer-saturated gratitude. Where there is a heart of gratitude, there is a prayer-saturated life. Conversely, if you are not, if you're struggling with your prayer life, if you are not being driven to prayer, one of the reasons may be that you are discontent, unhappy, you're not a grateful person. You have forgotten about the goodness of God, so you're not driven to to prayer because you're not thankful. Look at verse 2. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Because Paul is full of gratitude. He's driven to prayer. Note, his prayers are gratefully frequent and, and there's a variety of prayers, right? He's, he's frequently in prayer with a variety of prayers for these believers. He's always, he says, and in every prayer, he says. What this means is that he's continually, brethren, in a state of petitioning God on their behalf. He's in a state of, of being mindful of the needs of these brethren, He's gratefully, frequently, and with a variety praying for them. This speaks of of Paul's devotion for these Christians, right? Oh, Philippians, whatever's going on around you, whatever the the strife is, and he's going to call it out explicitly in chapter 4 and even false teachers in chapter 3 and all of that, right? He's going to talk about the, the beginning signs of disunity among them. Even so, he says, I am so thankful. I am driven to gratitude saturated prayer on your behalf before our Heavenly Father even in the midst of all that's going on. Note also that Paul's prayers are gratefully voluntary prayers. Gratefully voluntary prayers. No one is forcing Paul to pray here, right? No one is. He says, I offer these prayers with joy. Love that little prepositional phrase. With joy, not reluctant, or because God says, oh, I have to pray for you guys. All right, I'll, I'll do it, you know? It's with joy, with joy. Something motivates Paul. Look at verse 7. He says, it's, it's only right that I feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. And then in verse 8, notice, notice there, I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. You see the terms that he's using and the language that he's using? I feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I love the language there. I mean, some of us men in here, if we're like manly men, right? We feel uncomfortable with language like this. What's up with this Paul getting mushy-gushy, being so expressive, right? Wishy-washy guy. Man up, Paul! No, this is a strong man right here, yes? A gospel-fueled kind of a man. So he says, I'm not afraid of expressing my love to you. And by the way, as a side note, we shouldn't be afraid of expressing our love to each other either. Amen? In the way that you speak, yes, within appropriate parameters, right? Between females and males, yes. I'm talking about just tender affection toward one another, brethren. Let's be careful that in the context of the church that we are warm-hearted toward one another in light of our partnership that we have and our fellowship that we have in Christ. Paul's this way. He says... 
I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. That word there, affection, is one of the strongest terms for expressing love in the Greek. It refers literally to one's inward parts, to our entrails, if you will. He says, I feel this for, for you guys that in the deepest part of me. He says, Paul loves these people. Not afraid to express it. It's not a burden or drudgery. It's voluntary and joyful. Notice also that Paul's prayers are gratefully impartial, right? He's, he's impartial. He says, whenever I think about you, I pray for you all. He says, underline that. For you all. I'm not partial. I'm not picky or choosy, right, in terms of who I pray for and who I don't pray for. No. Were there some sheep, again, who were unpleasant sheep, who were prickly ones in the Philippian church? You better believe it. Absolutely. But Paul says, I pray for all of you no matter what. I'm not partial. I'm not playing favorites here. In fact, listen to me. If there are people in the church ever who you're having a difficult time with, you're struggling with, that is all the more reason why you should pray for them. You know what I'm saying? That's all the more reason why you should bring them to the throne of grace. We talk to everybody else but the person, yes? Instead, what we ought to do is we ought to talk to the Father because the Father can change their hearts and He needs to change yours too as you come before Him. So Paul says, I pray for every single person, for all of you I pray for. And so because Paul is full of gratitude, he prays. By the way, have you noticed as you've read Scripture that prayer and gratitude often go together in Scripture? Have you made that observation? Prayer and gratitude often go together in Scripture. People of prayer are thankful people, and thankful people are characteristically people of prayer. It's just the way that it goes if you're a mature believer, if you're applying yourself to the Word. You want some examples of this? Go with me to chapter 4 and verse 6. Look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 with me. He says, Be anxious for some things. Is that what you're text says be anxious for what for nothing right literally stop being anxious is the sense of the greek there stop being anxious but here's the other side of it in everything by prayer right there it is and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to god prayer and thanksgiving same text thankful people are prayer saturated people and by the way the antidote notice for anxiety in the Christian life is prayer saturated with thanksgiving, with gratitude. Why do they appear together here? Because most often when we're anxious, it's because we're not counting our blessings. We're not giving thanks for the evidences of God's grace in our lives. In fact, God may be nowhere to be found in your thoughts in great moments of anxiety. If you're living in that, right? He's nowhere to be found. You are functioning as a practical atheist in those moments. In fact, someone has insightfully said this, quote, anxiety is an outlook of the future, ready, minus God. Anxiety is an outlook of the future minus God. We've taken God out of the equation. When we're anxious, we're functioning like practical atheists, not even being mindful of God's care for us. God's desire to be there to comfort us and encourage us. We don't trust God. And so the last thing we're going to do is be thankful or prayerful. Go with me also to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5. Go there with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, rather. Chapter 5 and verse 16. Do you know this text? 1 Thessalonians 5.16 Rejoice always. 
Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. See that? Pray and give thanks. Another passage where prayer and gratitude go together. By the way, ever wonder what God's will for you is? Here it is, right? Be thankful in everything, whether you're single, whether you're married, a grandparent, whether you are in school or not in school, whether you're a grand, wherever, whatever stage in life you're in, this is the will of God here, that you cultivate and foster an attitude of gratitude. So prayer and thanksgiving here are like Siamese twins. They're married to one another often in Scripture. And thus, brother or sister, if you're struggling with your prayer life, it may be, it may be that it's because you've been struggling with ingratitude toward God. Maybe you've been focusing way too much on the fact that you feel that God should have given you something different. Different circumstances. Different relationships, etc. We're all in, in different places, aren't we? If that's you, listen to me. Take a moment today, even now, to confess that to the Lord. Ingratitude is a sin, right? Grumbling and complaining is a sin against God. Repent of that. Seek His forgiveness. Seek His renewal. And the answer for any of us is always yes in Christ Jesus, right? What encouraging... What an encouraging and comforting reality that is. There's always forgiveness at the foot of the cross if you come with a broken heart over your sin. And so gospel-fueled gratitude is God-directed, prayer-saturated gratitude. Thirdly, thirdly, write this down, it's, it's fellowship-motivated gratitude. It's fellowship-motivated gratitude. If the first two points have been more focused on our vertical relationship with God, then this third one is more focused on our horizontal relationship with others. Now, I realize that when, oftentimes when we hear the word fellowship, what often comes to mind is social activity, right? We think of spending time together, eating together, doing fun activities together, and those are wonderful things, and we all enjoy those, right? But realize that all of those sweet blessings that I just mentioned and social activity and interaction are the byproduct and the benefits of our spiritual joint fellowship, positionally speaking. We are in partnership with one another because of Christ, yes? And those are all the benefits, the byproduct of that wonderful union. And Paul can't help here but give thanks for this bond. This is what we see here in verses 5 and 6 with Paul. He, he says that his thankfulness and prayerfulness, notice in verse 5, is in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Participation, that's our word koinonia, often translated fellowship. He says, my gratitude for you Philippian believers is based upon and grounded upon and motivated by our joint fellowship, our common shared bond in this grand enterprise. And the grand enterprise is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. From the very beginning, we have been one in Christ. We have been a team, he says. And so Paul's gratitude has deep substance to it here. It's fellowship-motivated kind of gratitude based upon theological realities that he is one with these believers because they're both one in Christ. Yes? That motivates his gratitude and his thanksgiving to God. See, Paul is not advocating here some, some form of you know, ideological positive thinking. That is not a biblical thing. 
This is the best kind of thinking here, right? He's not advocating blind, superficial optimism. He says, from the very beginning, we've been walking together in gospel fellowship. There is a bond, a spiritual bond, whereby we have been forgiven of our sins and reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And that I cannot help but to give thanks for you in the light of that wonderful reality. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. I love that. From the first day until now. Right? No doubt Paul is joyfully perhaps reminiscing about the, the early days in Acts 16, as we saw last week. When this, you know, over by the river, he shares the gospel with this little lady named Lydia. And we don't get all of the details, but she comes to know Christ. God does a miracle in that little lady's life. She was a Gentile woman. And then Lydia and her whole family came to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And then this little lady, knowing that there could be a cost for her doing this, opens up her home so that they would begin to meet there. And the church at Philippi, brethren, is birthed. Wow. No doubt. He's he's recalling this. He's rehearsing these beautiful, wonderful blessings of the birthing of that church and then I'm sure the gathering of those believers and the singing of praises and the teaching of the Word of God and worship and sweet fellowship in the context of of Lydia's home together. No doubt he's reminiscing about this. No doubt Paul is joyfully reminiscing about how God was mightily at work in and through that little church. Remember the demon-possessed girl? Remember that? And remember then the, the pushback after Paul and another uh, apostle, uh, disciple cast out the, the demons out of that girl? And then they're thrown in jail? And then that miraculous deliverance by God? No doubt those things are etched on Paul's mind and he's thanking God because of those things. No doubt he's joyfully reminiscing about their sacrificial generosity and even their care in sending one of their own, Epaphroditus, to check in on Paul risking his own life to love on Paul, right? And one of the reasons why he's writing the letter of of Philippians is to let them know how Epaphroditus is doing. Hey, he's okay. He almost died, but he's here. He's here. Thank you for sending him. He's been an encouragement to me. And so as Paul ponders all of this, their participation from the first day until now, he says, oh, whenever I think about you, Philippians, I'm driven to God-directed, prayer-saturated, fellowship-motivated gratitude, right? We've been partners in this gospel in fellowship from the very first day until now. His thoughts are filled with grateful, fond memories of their ministry together, brethren. I I wonder how much of Paul's kind of mindset we foster in our own lives by God's grace. How about us? How about us? When you think about people in your life, including and beginning with the brethren in this, in this church, how do you think about them? Is it negative? Is it only all of the idiosyncrasies and weaknesses that you see in others? Listen, we should address those by grace, right? Mutually. But do you have a positive outlook in the light of the partnership that you shared with them if they're in Christ and if you're in Christ? So that you're driven to gratitude? I wonder how many of us live in that world. Thankfulness, gratitude when we think about others. I wonder how many of us are cultivating such a kingdom-focused, heavenly-minded perspective, gospel-mindedness, that we rejoice in the common bond that we have with other believers, despite the trials that we might experience amongst one another. Where we're full of gratitude because we recognize the miracle that God has done in our lives, brother and sister. Just look around this room right now. Literally, look around this room right now. Right? There are people here, every single one of us, to some extent or another, are a miracle, right? 
fact that we're even moving and looking around and we can hear and see you're a miracle of God's creation. And then there's the miracle of, of salvation where many of you sitting in here are, are actually born-again believers. God has raised you from spiritual death through faith in Jesus Christ. You're a miracle of God. How often do you, do you get on your knees and say, oh God, thank you. Oh my goodness, today I had an opportunity to actually go to an air-conditioned building auditorium and worship Christ, the King of the universe, with my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And there are many places all over the world where we don't get an opportunity to do that, right? There's grace in every situation, in every circumstance with our brethren in persecuted countries. But as far as it depends on us, brethren, God has given us such freedom. Do you thank God for that? Were your first words when you woke up this morning, God, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to, to open my eyes. <laughs> thank you for allowing me to put my feet on the ground. Thank you for this meal. Thank you for a warm shower or a cold one for some of you, right? Thank you for clean water. Thank you for clean food. Thank you for my brothers and sisters who I get to see for, as the minute I get on a step onto this building, right? Park my car. Thank you for parking. Thank you for a building. Thank you for, for a Bible that I can actually have in my hand and read every single moment of the day if I really want to, right? Thank you for clothing. Thank you for all of these wonderful blessings. Brethren, we need to count our blessings. Paul was a thankful man. Notice further in verse 6 how Paul was so optimistic not only about their past partnership but also about their future partnership in Christ. He says in verse 6, for I am confident, this is Paul's firm conviction here, I'm confident that he, speaking of God, who began a good work in you will what? perfected until the day of Christ Jesus. You know what Paul is saying here? I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that the same God who saved you will bring you to the end no matter what your difficulties and your weaknesses might be. That's good stuff right there, isn't it? The grace of God saves. The grace of God sanctifies us. The grace of God sustains us all the way until the end when we see Jesus face to face, brother and sister. That is an encouraging thing right there in the light of our wretched sin that we wrestle with, right? Even in sanctification as believers. Boy, that's powerful. And again, I wonder how many of us are biblically optimistic like this when we think about others, right? When others fail us legitimately or display weaknesses. Is your attitude, hey, they may have weaknesses, they may be frail, but if they belong to the Lord, oh God, thank you that you will get them to the finish line. Praise you, God Almighty. Is that your attitude? You might even want to express that. Hey, I know you're going through some tough times. I know that there are some difficult things that you're experiencing right now, right? And you do need to deal with those sins, right? We want to be truth and love, truth and love working together. But hey, I want you to know God will sustain you. The gracious God who saved you, He will sustain you until the end. Amen? And then make this personal for yourself. How many of you believe that since we belong to Christ, God will get us through? And God will be faithful to His promise to perfect us in Christ. Man, verse 6 is so comforting, brethren. Right? God is not only... God is not going to look upon the myriad of the redeemed someday and say, you know what? I'm sure glad 80% of you made it. <laughs> right? The rest of you, oops, oopsies, right? Now, whom God calls, He will save. Amen? He protects and preserves them until the end. That's why I love 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. 
which says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain, believer, an inheritance, ready for this, which is imperishable, that is not liable to decay, your inheritance in Christ, it's not going to decay, and undefiled, that is unpolluted or unstained by evil, and will not fade away like flowers which die and wither, right? Will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, Christian, who are protected by the power of God for your salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this, he says, in this salvation, in this inheritance, you greatly rejoice. You hear that? If you truly belong to Christ and God has promised that He will complete His work in you, you are in the palm of God's hands, Christian. Your salvation is not based upon your performance or what you do by your own moral bootstraps to somehow keep yourself saved. It is based upon the person and the work of Jesus, His finished atoning work. Amen? Thank God that our salvation is not in our hands. If it was, we'd lose it every single day. Every day, every moment, right? I've lost my salvation, I think, 17 or 18 times already this morning, if it was up to me. But it's not. It's in God's hands. And so Paul here is not concerned with promoting some ideological system of positive thinking or superficial optimism. Think about this. Our gratitude has substance. God has brought us into an intimate bond with Himself and with one another, and that should motivate us, brother or sister, to be thankful, to express gratitude. Listen, if you're a Christian today, you have much to be thankful for. Amen? Count your blessings. Prayerfully contemplate the evidences of God's grace. Be thankful. Read Scriptures like like Psalms 146 through Psalm 150. Just read those five Psalms later today. If you're struggling with ingratitude, giving all the reasons why you should be thankful. And read Psalm 118, right? Psalm 118, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His loving kindness is everlasting. There's this refrain of His loving kindness is everlasting. His loving kindness, His steadfast, loyal, covenant-keeping love is everlasting toward you if you're in Christ. That never changes. That's something to be thankful of about if you're a Christian. Amen? Notice that I said if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian. And the implication is, are you a Christian this morning? Are you a believer? Do you know for sure that you're right with God? Do you know for sure that you've been forgiven? That there's an inheritance waiting for you in heaven because of your, your precious Jesus, your Savior, your Redeemer? Do you know for sure that you've been forgiven and reconciled to God this morning? Have you repented of your sins? Have you put your confident trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Listen, today is the day of salvation. This world is quickly fleeting and passing away. Everything's going downhill, Amen. But guess what? The stage is being set as things go downhill. Right? For the coming kingdom of Christ. So everything is getting worse. The world is quickly fleeting and passing away. But the one who commits his life to Christ, guess what? Abides forever. There is true, lasting hope for those who commit their lives to Jesus. Commit your life to Christ today. And count your blessings. And be a creature who lives out your purpose for which God created you to give God glory and be thankful. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You, Lord. Our hearts are full. Lord, we can spend sermon after sermon after sermon just rehearsing Your glories 
and all the reasons and attributes that You have displayed in Your magnificent creation and toward us. And then the great miracle of salvation in Christ Jesus. Oh Lord, we are of all people most blessed. We thank You. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us this morning for those moments this week and even maybe this morning where we have grumbled and complained in our hearts toward You. And Lord, where we have not loved our brethren but hated them in our hearts. Father, forgive us. Lord, help us. Renew us. Renew us in the spirit of our minds so that we would have a heart of gratitude. And Lord, remind us even this afternoon, later on, whether it's with our families or our extended church family here, help us, Lord, to be people who are looking for those wonderful ways that you have, Lord, extended your favor upon us. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.